It's the start of another week and you're listening to Horn Stuff and today I'd recommend everyone grab their beverage of choice or pick up some slightly tedious lockdown cooking or cleaning so that you can have this podcast in the background because it's a long 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 chat with musician, producer, engineer and overall super swell guy Colin Marston. Now Colin is probably one of the busiest metalheads ever. because he's simultaneously juggling his renowned Menegroth the Thousand Caves recording studios in Queens and all the numerous projects he's part of Peter I think at last count we counted more than 15 yeah yeah it, it's it's quite a few and uh, yeah i i think it's just amazing cuz one of the things i always wonder about someone like him is when the hell does he sleep man <laughs> Yeah, or he must be like I don't know. We we should have asked him this question too. He must be one of the super organized people. He Mondays is dedicated to death metal. Tuesdays <laughs> is dedicated to something else. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I must say that the reason we got to talk to him was because of Sublive, a, a live album of sorts of non-metal music, almost largely that uh, Colin released as himself through India's very own Subcontinental Records. check that label out you will find links in the show notes as well but uh, we took our chance to chat with colin and talk to him about a lot of different things right from a portfolio of sorts of all the music he makes so in case you don't know uh, who colin marston uh, is or the various projects he's associated with it's uh, almost a 20 minute recap of everything he does to his views on recording and producing metal why he prefers the studio over live music recordings and just a lot of opinion and insights on heavy metal itself so without further ado here is colin master hi colin how are you doing today man and welcome to hornza hi thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it how how are things at your end of the world i mean you know We're currently in lockdown here, but how are things with you? Yeah, uh, you know, same, same here, obviously. And um, uh, you know, New York is is one of the worst spots, just you know, not surprisingly because of the the population density and how disgusting a city is to begin with. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, wherever we're all we're all quarantined too, and um, just waiting. hopefully uh for some kind of uh improvement all right so you know uh to just let's have some fun on this interview just to start things off a bit you know one of the things about talking to you is you're part of so many bands and projects ranging all the way from death metal black metal everything in between even alternative music so we'd like you to define each one of your projects with an adjective <laughs> <laughs> Just, it's 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 going to be a lot of fun, right? So let's go one by one. So, Is that cool? so you're saying like each band, like uh, like like try to come up with an adjective for each band. Yeah, just an adjective or a word, whatever you'd like to describe. Oh, this is fun. This is like a, you know free association. <laughs> um, okay. So Ooh, this is hard because yeah, I feel like I I almost feel like I have to like encapsulate everything. if <laughs> the music wants to say in one word and that's totally impossible um <laughs> have fun but, with uh, it that's the only advice yeah. have fun with this um all right oh, 
Man, Wait. I don't even I don't even know where to start. <laughs> uh, don't worry, we'll give you the band name or the artist name, and you react. Okay. All right. Let's go. Okay. Got it. Okay. Let's. This this will probably be kind of easy for you. So let's start off easy. Kralis. Um. Oh man! <laughs> One adjective to describe a man. I can't do it. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I have no idea where to start with that. <laughs> okay, let's go easy. A couple of words then, <laughs> at least. <laughs> um, I think when we started, I I sort of viewed it as the uh. The, the sort of quote unquote normal bands, the like um, more traditional metal bands, or maybe traditional. No, but the thing is, okay, the reason that's not fair is that that's how it started, and we made a few records that way that were a little bit more song based and repetitive and so on. But then around 2015, we we sort of switched gears and um, allowed ourselves to kind of develop more of our own sound. So you know, calling. Kralis, the more sort of traditional band, like only really applies to the the early stuff. Um, but okay. yeah, okay. So hey, you know, to play to play to play by the rules of your game, that's the traditional band. <laughs> <laughs> who would have thought that? What's that? <laughs> nah, I just said, who would have ever thought that that Kralis would be the traditional? Yes, yes, band. yes. <laughs> All right, go for it, Anamish. Next up, behold the octopus. Okay, uh, behold the octopus would be the non-traditional band, so the uh, the sort of the the band that's always pushing forward, um, regardless of uh, regardless of how palatable it is to people. So I don't know, maybe um, it's it's not the most experimental project I have, but I feel like in terms of the rock bands that I have that are actually sort of like operate as more common, uh, as more as rock bands more traditionally do, where you, um, you know you have band practices and you play shows and go on tour and make a record every couple of years, uh, and that one is is probably the most experimental um, of the of the bands. So All right. I don't know. Maybe uh ooh. Okay, we'll call that one the experimental one. <laughs> okay. Gorguts. Okay, Gorguts is also kind of traditional, in fact more so than Kralis, because the songwriting is more like traditional songwriting where there's, you know, only maybe four riffs in a song and they go four times and so on. Um, but yeah, hmm, maybe Gorguts is the, is the song band <laughs> because even though Corrales has more, has the more traditional writing at the beginning, the songs are all super long and it's easy to lose track that you're in a repetition of a riff, but with Gorguts, maybe the riffs are a little bit shorter. Uh, you know, the lyrics are more traditional in terms of having verses and choruses and stuff so we'll call that the well that's the songy band <laughs> okay all right what about dis rhythmia 
Dysrhythmia is the... That's the rock band. I think that's the rock band. All right, that was the easiest. <laughs> um, and I guess I say, I say that because I've always thought of Dysrhythmia as the strongest um, the strongest band that I play in for, for playing shows. Uh, I feel like the music translates the best. Um, not, not that our records... Not that on our records the music doesn't come across. I think it, it does really well, too. But I think that the music that we write and record translates the best and sounds the best live. Um, maybe the new Behold stuff is going in that direction because I changed the way the drums operate to to kind of like be a little bit clearer and less just mush and wash in the live setting. But I feel like Dysrhythmia from the, the years before I was in the band was always you could always hear everything everybody was doing all the time. There's never anything that got lost. Um and there was always like a really exuberant rock energy, especially with the old bass player who used to jump around and fall over and um you know, knock into people and stuff. It it felt very sort of uh very sort of a, a lot about uh live expression and energy. What about Baila? I hope I said that correctly. Oh, totally. Um, Bio was sort of the first only ambient project that I did. I I um, had this group, Infidel Castro, with my old buddy George growing up that would have some parts that were ambient and then everything else in between. There were um, heavy parts, uh, confusing parts, noisy parts. But Bilo was sort of the first time that um, I made a, a record that was uh, just ambient music. Um, so that's the ambient band. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Since you mentioned it, Infidel Castro. That's, that's really the experimental band. But that's also that also wasn't really designed as a band to begin with. Um, okay. It was... Uh, it was it was sort of like we wanted to go really off the deep end with recording and make some kind of uh some kind of unreplicatable music that could only live on a record and then eventually we ended up reinterpreting some of that music live and doing some shows but that was never the the beginning goal i guess that that, that was true for Kralis too that wasn't really supposed to be a real band that was just supposed to be a a record but um but it was obviously set up as a normal band with, you know, a drummer and a guitar player and a bass player and so on. Uh, whereas Infidel Castro was just me and George sort of both playing lots of different instruments and sometimes not playing instruments at all. Um, so yeah, I need to, I need to come up with a term that means experimental, but, but more so <laughs> for that band, <laughs> the ultimate, the ultimate experiment. That's sort of true experimental music where we really didn't know sometimes we would have an idea to try a sound or a song or an idea and we would have no idea what it would end up sounding like when it was done um, versus Behold the Octopus, I have a little bit more of a preconceived idea in mind about like the textures I want to combine and maybe I don't know exactly what note comes after which before I write the piece but have kind of a a fairly formed idea in my head about what I what I want it to sound like. So, um, so yeah, Infidel Castro is the experimental in the truest sense of the word. So, what about and I think I'm going to butcher this one. Intricother is that? It? Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, in, Intricother. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. So 
that was uh, that was started when I first got a recording program on my computer um, back when I was maybe like 19 or something and um, was just so excited to be, I, you know, recorded on four tracks and I actually had a borrowed recording set up a couple summers um, before that. But this was the first time that I felt like I had my own home recording set up where I could do, um, you know, things like I could make my own metal album uh, by myself. And I was really excited about that. So the first couple in Drink It Theater songs uh, poured out pretty quickly. And then years later, I decided to make a second record and that kind of spurred like, oh, okay, I could, um, I made one ambient track on that second record and that kind of spurred a whole series of ambient records. And I kind of liked the idea of having Intricate Theater be sort of half solo metal albums and half solo ambient albums, sort of like uh, some of the Norwegian black metal guys would do, but with a more instrumental technical metal uh, vibe as the, as the metal stuff. And, you know, now I'm even expanding it maybe more and, uh, you know, thinking of other, other solo projects that I could do that would expand the sound, but, uh, we'll see when we get there. (laughs) Okay. Uh, But yeah, adjective, I I don't think I gave you an adjective. Uh, the adjective (laughs) for, for intricate theater, hmm, uh, solo. (laughs) Is that an adjective? Yes, it is. Yep. 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 We'll take it. What about the Encina track? Uh, Encina track, brutal. All right. That one's easy. That's the brutal band. (laughs) It's all about brutality. Um, and, and just being suffocated. Um, and uh, we've been, you know, similar to what I was talking about with Intricate Theory, we've been uh, using that band to make music in a couple, with a couple different methods, and that's been, that's been really fun. But uh, it's a, lot of, a lot of it is about making the music not too specific in terms of what note comes after what, kind of like the way I think about octopus music it's so specifically designed and all the harmonic structure is so carefully worked on. Whereas in, in Senate track, it's, we, we know that that sound of that kind of music ends up being kind of a wall of, of noise, a wall of mush. So we just sort of decided to embrace that and just make the best possible wall of mush that we can make um, and inject, you know, maybe little bits in there that give you the, the feeling that there's that there's more going on underneath, and is there more going on underneath? I'll, I'll leave that to the listener to decide. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I guess the answer is yes, but what? But what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> right. What about rejoice? The light has come. Oh, so that is not my band. That is uh, something I was um, hired to do session bass for, and I convince them to let me engineer the project too. Cause I don't, I'm not really in the habit of doing session work. Um, mm-hmm. I really like working on my own music and I really like doing production, mixing, engineering work for other people's music, but I rarely get involved in the music itself um, and play on it. And I've done that a couple of times for friends and stuff, but these were guys I didn't know that sort of wrote me out of the blue, um, but they sent me a demo and it sounded cool. And I, you know, like to try to re, consider my positions on things every once in a while. So I was like, all right, maybe I, maybe I should try doing this session based thing. And my worry also always with doing session stuff is that I'll 
spend all this time working on parts that I like and then send them to somebody else to mix and then not be happy with the, the sound eventually. So that was why I was thinking like, oh, okay, well, maybe maybe I would feel better investing more of my time and myself in this if I could work with them on the, the final sound of the record too. Um, so yeah, they agreed to that and um, it was great. I They hardly had me change anything. Um, there was maybe like one or two ideas they had for things to do differently after my first draft, but they more or less liked what I came up with and it was fun music to work on. So that was a, that was just a yeah, really positive experience in, in sort of doing session stuff. So session is the adjective for that one. <laughs> good, good, good one. Okay, next we move on to Glyptoglossio. Ah, okay. That's another very experimental band. Um, that one, uh, Elian, my wife and I are, are very heavily involved in. I do the guitar and she does the bass and we both do some vocals and extra instrument overdubs and, and so on on that project. But really the the vision and the the ideas for the component parts all come from Nandor, the drummer and lead singer. Um, so he comes to us with these ideas for how to make the music in small sections and the fully written, realized, uh, he calls it the libretto because it's almost like an, like an opera, like the, the lyrics and the vocals are really the center of the music, um, not just the dusting on top, like maybe it is for a lot of other sort of more normal metal bands. Uh, and so what's cool is we get together and we, and we record all these short instrumental sections and then he leaves me with the uh, vocal recording and all these small musical sections to organize into an album. So I take these very small sections of music and organize them and edit them into the, the, the records that you hear. Um, so it's great because it's really like his, his vision and, and sort of his music played by us, but very collaborative at the same time. And I actually get to create the structure of the music to kind of follow his, um, his lyrical ideas. Um, so it's, it's, it's simultaneously a very collaborative project and also like almost like a Nondor solo record in, in terms of him driving the, the creative boat, so to speak. Um, right. So an adjective from that. Ooh, that's tough. Um, hmm. <laughs> well, maybe I'll take a left turn and say that the adjective is quantum because one thing I really enjoy about the new album is how much the lyrics talk about um, quantum physics okay. and uh, in, 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 a, in an interesting poetic way. And in Nondor's words, he's like, this isn't just poetry. I'm, I'm talking about stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I got the quote a little bit wrong, but it's, it might seem kind of like quote unquote nonsense at first, but it, but it isn't. It's, he's, he is actually writing about stuff that exists in the real world and, he, he delved far into the this micro science on the new record, which uh, every time I, I listen to it, I I sort of pick up another idea that he's that he's putting down, and that's really cool. Sailors with wax wings. Oh yes, yeah. so that was something from quite a while ago. That was another session situation. Um, this friend of mine who does who did that that record and white moth was another one that he did and also pyramids is his other musical project and uh he's great he's he's one of these guys who actually not only has 
brought me on and hired me to do sort of session work, but it's like he gives me such great creative uh, freedom that it's almost like hiring me to write an album. And the Sailors with Wax Wings, I was later to that album in the process. So there were already a lot of other instrumental tracks in place. They just needed to be shaped and sort of organized. So he sent me these very long tracks of um, the musicians sort of improvising over each other. And then I took that raw material and kind of shaped it into these songs, which which the record became, and, and added guitar, and that kind of helped the shape as well. Um, but what's interesting is the White Moth and the, and the Sailors, sorry, the uh, Pyramids album called The Northern Meadow, mm-hmm. for those records, I was literally just given drum programming, and I created sort of the whole song on top, and then sent those, sent that back to them, and they added the vocals. So that was kind of a really interesting way to collaborate and write together and make a record where, like, a lot of it came from me, but it's still sort of somebody else's vision. Um, so yeah, those have been interesting sort of session albums to work on that breed almost into being like one of my projects, but it's not my project. It's their project. I'm just sort of being brought on, but it, you know, it's like I get to contribute so much that it it feels more like a collaboration. Okay. Uh, the penultimate one, this one is Hathenter. Hathenter is fundamentally, I guess, just me and Mick from Kralis doing guitar improvisation, um, okay. where we usually kind of try to just follow each other and do the same thing the other guy's doing. Um, and then we expanded that into a quartet uh, with Eliane, my wife, on guitar, and our friend Brandon Seabrook on guitar also. And um, that's the version of the band that we made the Ouija album uh a few years ago. So this this was all recorded five years ago, but I think maybe like three years ago we put out that record and I had all this other material from the four guitar session left over for the uh, for the new album that we just released yesterday. Um, so Passenger is an interesting one because really I think that was the beginning of the development of Kralis' current sound. After... Um, after Years Past Matter and Hyperion that we made, that didn't come out until later, but we actually made it, recorded it in 2013. After that, we kind of wanted a, a reset on the band, and rather than working on Kralis music, Mick and I would just get together and, and improvise. Um, and that became the Hassenter 10000 album, um, and then later the, the guitar quartet stuff. But it also kind of just, it, it loosened up some musical space for us, and I think let us um, go into making that Yig Her album that was sort of the, the, the turning point in the sound of Corrales. Um It let us kind of focus less on trying to make a particular kind of music and more just writing whatever came out of us without like too much preconceived notions about, about anything. Um, you know, let's just play music. What's the music? Oh, this is the music? Okay, maybe let's maybe let's work with that. So Hathenter is obviously a lot more improv. Well, it's fully improvised and Kralis is fully written, but in terms of getting the sort of the raw building blocks and just just sort of rebooting the musical brain, that was a good way to do it, to just have no ideas and just to play and 
maybe just think about some different ways, some different sounds that you hadn't thought of before um, to work with to write music once once that experience had been done. Um, so yeah, I think that's going to be an ongoing thing, hopefully, and uh, the half inter, I mean. And um, but it's you know it's very loose and. Um, Okay, yeah, so there's your adjective. I have to talk through this to actually get to the free association. Haventer's the loose band. (laughs) All right. Now, I I think this should be the easiest one. And here we go. Colin Marston. Oh, okay. That is the the (laughs) self-band. So Colin Marston is maybe what I release things under when it doesn't really fit into one of these other projects. Um, <laughs> okay. Because, yeah, the thing is, you know, I was talking about intricacy here. That's just me, too, obviously. That's a solo project. But I kind of liked how, um, you know, uh, here's here's your example. Fenris from Dark Throne. Mm-hmm. He's got his band Dark Throne. But when he wants to make solo Fenris albums, he calls it Isengard. Yeah. Um, so, and some of that stuff is metal, and some of that stuff is ambient. So, Indrigathir is my Isengard, where it's kind of like, oh, it's that's the half metal, half ambient solo project. But when I'm when I've done this stuff like um, uh, this controlled uh, feedback, controlled player piano music that I that's on the Sublive album, um, or this collaboration with Mario that's also on that record, things like that. To me, those aren't really intricate so to speak, because that kind of has this identity. So that's just that's just like Colin Marston, the musician making music. So I'm just like, all right, that's all. Let's call it that. Oh. That's like you know, for lack of a better term, like uh, that's like the the classical music that I make. <laughs> just release under your own name, because that's because that's because that's how classical works. You don't come up with a band name for your composer. You just you just you. You're just you know, you're just Wagner or fucking Holst or whatever. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. We'll buy that. Well, uh, that was that was quite a bit. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so, so, great. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I wasn't going to be able to, to answer it at all, but uh, that actually turned into a, a very long thing. <laughs> yep. That's your discography in, in uh, 15 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Okay, so let's uh, let's talk about Sublive then. That's the new live album of sorts that's released under your own name. It's out on Subcontinental Records. Uh, what's really yeah. the story behind this album? What drove you to create Sublive? Um, so it's two. It's it's the, uh, the album comes from two different sources, and um, Aaron, who I've been talking to for a while about, you know, potentially like working on his music and stuff, wrote me. Um, well, I knew he had his label, but he wrote me again uh, about maybe releasing a solo record of mine um, that was this concert that I'd done at MPAC, which is a beautiful, pretty new performing arts center in upstate New York. Um, and there was a, a video of that performance uh, on YouTube for a while. Um, and he was like, well, you know, maybe we could do an album version of, of that. And so I was like, okay, that would be cool. But but thinking to myself that, all right, that's already been sort of quote unquote released on YouTube for a while. I had this other version of that music that I'd done last year at a concert here in New York um, where I did sort of a live quadraphonic mix of a different recording of the piano feedback stuff. Um, But anyway, Aaron still wanted to do the 
the MPAC show, but there was one piece from the uh, Issue Project Room show that, that was uh, just an impromptu collaboration with Mario, who was also on the bill, an old friend of mine, somebody I've been wanting to work on music with a while. So that kind of, uh, I suggested using that, and he was like, well, maybe we could combine them and do the first two pieces from the MPAC show and then the last piece from the Issue Project Room. And I was like, okay, that's that's a cool, weird, unique live record and covers uh, covers like three pretty different territories of sound uh, from the sort of the intricate ear ambient keyboards to then the second track, which is the feedback control player piano with um, with Elian doing sustain mm-hmm. pedal. But then the, the Mario thing where I'm only doing feedback, uh, you know, guitar effects pedal feedback, and he's doing electronics. Um, so yeah, I like the idea, and it was a good excuse to do my own mix of the MPAC concert, which uh, the the mix in the video was just a rough mix done by somebody at MPAC uh, right then and there, and I figured it was good enough at the time um, to go with the video. But so I got to do a new sort of better mix of that stuff for the album version, so it sounds it sounds a little bit better, and um, and then incorporate this Mario track. So yeah. So anyway, that's the. I feel like I'm kind of repeating myself, but that's sort of the story of that, of how that came to be, and um, it's cool to have like an album version of that stuff. Uh, and I, I it also is giving me the idea for future um, releases to to maybe do a whole album with Mario of that kind of. I don't even know what to call that music that we made because we didn't even talk about it. We just did it. Um, but it kind of sounds exactly how, like how, how I imagined it would sound, strangely enough. So there's there's some uh, there's some mystery in that music that I want to explore further um, now that this record is done. All right. So is there any message or some such that you would like for the listeners of Sublive to take away from the album? Hmm. Well, definitely no preconceived message because it wasn't conceived as an album to begin with. It's more like a like a compilation, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, so yeah, so okay, so not like you know nothing intentional necessarily, but I guess you know maybe I already said this, but I guess like what I enjoy about it and what I hope other people would enjoy about it is that it is kind of all an electronic ambient album, I guess so to speak. But there's also a lot of variety, and and obviously track two has the acoustic piano involved, so it's not all electronic. Um, but yeah, I guess it's sort of like three different takes on ambient music, um, you know, going from very contemplative to very aggressive. And I guess, you know, I feel like these musics can all exist together in one collection, and maybe that kind of shows me that there's such a huge um, range to what ambient music can be um, and improvisation, improvisation, Im- improvised ambient music, I should say, because uh, all that, all that music on there is improvised. Um, so yeah, you know, the, the definitions of those things, when we think of free improv and we think of ambient music, maybe we get a really specific idea in our heads, but uh, you know, really, there's such a wide wide range to um, what that can, descri- can describe. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Um, let's now start, you know, peeling away at all of the various hats that you wear, uh, kind of. I mean, let's talk a little bit about your role as an engineer, producer, studio owner, etc. 
Now, in an interview with Bandcamp, which you've done, uh, and earlier while you were describing your projects to us right here, you kind of brought up that you have these reservations about being hired to play music you don't like, but you right, right. You thoroughly enjoy recording and mixing things you don't care for musically as such. Yeah. Um, the question that kind of stems of that is, uh, how do you deal with music and musicians at your studio whose music you just don't enjoy? Um, well, I feel like that almost never comes up in the way that you're describing because it's, I, I guess in the moment, I'm not thinking about whether I like it or not. Like that's not okay. even really being processed, you know? So it's like if I have somebody in the studio and I'm working with them, I'm not like thinking about their music in those terms of like, oh, do I think this is cool? Like, that's not the issue. That's so far from what we're trying to achieve there. I'm just trying to help them get the best sound possible for their music and present it in the best possible way, in a way that they like and that I think is cool. And, you know, hopefully, um, but mainly, you know, how they think is cool. And okay. um, so... I don't, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I don't find myself in the situation that often where I'm like, oh man, this music sucks. It's driving me crazy. I can't believe I'm here working on it. Like that just doesn't, that just doesn't happen that often. Even the stuff where maybe in retrospect, I might kind of laugh and be like, oh, that's, that's funny. I worked on that. Like that's not, that's not music I ever would have, you know, gone out of my way to check out at first. And maybe if I put it on, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, I would have been like, oh, you know, not interested to finish it or something. Um, like those feelings don't enter into the process of when I'm working on something. Like I'm just so excited to get something sounding good and to to work to work in audio. And I'm always excited at the end of the day to listen back to whatever work that I did, um, even if it's you know some some type of music that's that's far from from what I would put on otherwise. Um, that said, I, I, I really want to like make it clear that like so much of the music that I work on, I really do like and would listen to uh, mm -hmm. outside of, of, of it being work. Um, so I feel incredibly lucky in that respect. Um, and, and to get to work on my friend's music, who I like, it's not only stuff I would listen to, it's stuff that I love. I mean, getting to work on that last Defeated Sanity album was a dream come true. I've been trying to I've been trying to get them to let me work on their music for like the last 10 years. And <laughs> finally they did. And I feel like, you know, it came out really good and I'm so proud of it. And, you know, so happy that we got to spend that time together and, and, and create this thing together. So, I mean, I feel like that's, that's more common that I have that kind of experience than the one where I'm like, Oh man, I get like, this is, this is record drives me crazy. But, uh, but I guess, I guess I got to work on it. You know, I, you know, I guess that happens sometimes. It's hard to think of examples, but, I guess like even at its worst, it's it's just so not an issue for me. Um, okay. I think like what would be an issue is if I was a live session musician playing music I hated and being on tour eight months out of the year, doing that every night, hanging out with maybe like people I didn't get along with, but it was a job, so I felt like I had to do it anyway. It's that's that's the like fear of doing music that you're not invested in that I have, you know. And obviously, it's not that justified a fear because I just don't do that. <laughs> okay. It's okay. not like I've done it and I'm, and I'm all conflicted about it. You know, it's just like uh -huh. that's something I avoid. Um, all right. And there's, you know, there's people out there that can, that can do that and, and, and not feel 
not feel the way I would feel about it. So um, I don't know. You know, I feel like it's like all these relationships with music that's yours and not yours and everything in between, uh-huh. they're all valid and they're all good. And, um, you know, I just gravitate in general more towards the studio and the record making end of things. So that's very conducive to being, being able to work on others, other people's stuff. Um, if I was, if I was fundamentally a live musician, I think like all that's all those issues that I'm talking about would be like a little harder for me to reconcile. All right. All right. So uh, having said that, of course, then the next natural question then would be uh, for to the musician in you, what makes you want to be part of a project? What makes you want to get invested in a project then as a musician? Uh, um, oh, like, uh, you mean like when I, when are you, you talking you about like making, one of, yeah, making yeah. one of my own records kind of like? Yep. When you make your own records or when you actively want to be part of somebody else's project or when somebody approaches you and you you look at it and you evaluate it what exactly is it that compels you to be a part of it and and you're talking like, musically not not yeah, studio not no. not like yeah. engineering no no okay yeah 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 gotcha um hmm interesting uh i feel like usually the way these bands and these projects come together, it seems to be very organic. Like, it's not like somebody emails me and says, let's do this record or something. Like, it, I'm sure there's times where that's happened too, but I feel like most of the bands and and sort of less band bands, you know, like the, 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 the projects that I have that do make records, but maybe just don't go out and tour and play lots of shows, they all kind of seem to come together in the same way where we just, you know, you, you have a, a friend who's a musician and you hang out and you shoot the shit and eventually you talk about maybe wanting to work on something and then it kind of just happens. So I don't know. I'm not answering your question very well, but I think I don't really know. I think it just kind of happens. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's more concrete examples. Like when Kevin and I got asked to join Gorguts, like Luke sent us a message and said, Hey, I want to restart Gorguts. Will you guys join? And we said, yes. And that, and that was that. I mean, so, so that, you know, that went down in a very sort of simple way like that. But, you know, in terms of maybe starting Kralis or something, it was more like, that was more like what I was describing before where Mick and I were friends and we'd hang out and I'd work on some of his music. And, you know, eventually we, you know, we, I think the more and more we worked together, the more we, we realized like maybe we should do something together. And at the time, we were maybe both in kind of a black metal phase, and um, so that's kind of the 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 that was the sort of the, the identity that it took on at the beginning. And then over having that band for more and more years, we sort of loosened up the um, the identity of it and just let it be whatever it is. Um, so yeah, it's it's not so easy to pinpoint. I think like how these what, you know, what makes me want to do something. I guess it's like just wanting to work with other musicians whose music I love. Maybe it's that simple. Um, you know, it's like I'll always want to do musical projects with, with Weasel, who used to play drums in Behold and plays drums in Incentithrack. Um, mm-hmm. And even though it didn't make sense after a while to have him in Behold, because it just wasn't like the right kind of like fit for, for his lifestyle at the time, like we still wanted to play together and we still do play together. So, you know, it's like I'm always going to want to make music with him. So I feel like we'll always have something something on deck. 
and the same with Mick and with Kevin and McMaster and all the all the guys that I make make records with. So yeah, I think we just love love each other's stuff and love working on music, and so eventually records come out. Okay. So what's the musical ambition that you've yet to realize? What all do you have on your bucket list? Ooh. Um, I don't think I have a classic bucket list in terms of like, oh, I want to do that before I die. It's more like I have the things that I want to do like next week or like next month. Like, okay, this is the next thing I want to do. So right now I'm very excited to work on like the uh, second Incentithrack album, which is all recorded and I just have to do the reamping and mixing for it. Okay. Um, so yeah, I guess it's like my, my bucket list is more of like a, more of like a queue, like what's next in, in the queue. Um, and I, I try not to think, well, not, not even that I try, I don't seem to think that far ahead of like, you know, ultimate, um, ultimate goals, you know, before I'm done. I, you know, it, it would, the only thing I can think of that might fall into that category is doing some kind of more like uh, orchestral classical music, you know, where you would like write a piece and then have it played by like 20 other people who you don't know, <laughs> that kind of thing, which seems totally unrealistic to me in the musical world that I operate in. I mean, that would require like getting a grant and being hooked a little bit closer hooked into the world of modern classical that I'm, you know, I know people in and I've worked with people in, but I'm not like in it, in it because I, I operate in terms of my, my own music more in this sort of rock world. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's one thing I can think of, but it's not something that I think about before going to bed every night and whatever. That's just kind of like, Oh, that, you know, that might be cool someday. And the, and the things that I'm really focusing on more specifically are the, the more immediate projects. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. So let's shift focus back to, you know, the engineer, producer and metal, you know, since after all, this is horns up. Now you've said somewhere that metal is largely the hardest to mix and usually takes the longest to record. And that can be a drag at times. Now to a layman metalhead might take offense to that statement. So do you mind explaining that thought? Sure. Yeah, and it's not it's not meant to be offensive or demeaning in any way. And it, it, in a way, it's almost a compliment, um, I think, because I mean, I don't I don't experience this much in my life, but from talking to other people, I know that it happens. Uh, that's you know, often metal might be viewed by society as a greater whole as like a bunch of a bunch of bullshit, like a bunch of screaming and noise and like not a lot of craft or thought put into it. You know, that might be how it seems from the outside looking into somebody who's not that experienced. And some of it is like that. And that's not even necessarily a bad thing. Some of the stuff like that is cool. But by and large, metal is the opposite. It's the sort of the most carefully worked on form of rock music I can think of. Um, aside from maybe like prog rock, and that's a pretty loose term too. But metal has a lot more to do with classical music in terms of the detail and the intricacy and the level of specificness of it being written and the complexity and the and the density uh, of sound. It's definitely the closest to, to classical I can think of of any form of rock music. 
So in a way, it's like it should almost be taken the most seriously of any form of of rock music, I think, um, or or at least pretty pretty high up there. I mean, it's like the level of basic ability and musicianship to be a death metal drummer that you need just to do the basic shitty bare bones beats of death metal is really fucking hard. <laughs> um, so getting back to your question more specifically about how it's hard to, it's hard to mix and, and, and it takes a long time to record. That's, that's part of why um, it's because it actually is difficult music to execute. And then you have the sonic characteristic of most metal. And the reason that I find it's the hardest to mix is that because of this idea of everything being sort of pushed to its limit of texture and of speed and of lowness, you know, it's like metal's the lowest and the noisiest and the fastest music kind of, all those things work against each other in terms of being able to hear what the fuck is going on. <laughs> so you have these elements which are sort of completely opposed to each other. You have this very intricate music which is being presented in a way where it's hard to hear what the music even is. Um, and so you end up developing all these recording techniques and mixing techniques which end up pushing the instruments further and further from what they actually sound like. So triggered kick drum is the best example. Okay. When, when, when you have this wall of distorted guitar and you have fast bass drums, you can't play the bass drums as hard, so they don't have as much attack, they don't cut through the mix as much, but they end up being in metal this super important aspect of metal yep. that you want to hear yep. every hit with super clearly. So triggering comes about because now every hit can be the loudest possible hit. So now you have no, no problem hearing the kicks against the wall of distorted guitar. But now maybe once you have all those symbols washing through and the triggered kicks and the super compressed snare, so you hear every snare hit, maybe now you hear the guitar, it's, you, you know that it's there, it's loud, it's covering up all these drums, you had to make the drums super loud in the mix to hear them over the guitar, but maybe now you can't tell what the guitar's doing anymore. You, can, you know it's there, but you have no idea what the riff is, what the music is, what the melody is. Mm. So that's why it's hard. It's like everything's everything's sort of taking up all the space in the mix the whole time, and everybody's playing all the time. Nobody ever stops in metal. There's never any rests. Um, there's just 16th notes on the drums the whole time, and guitar never, you know, never stopping for more than like a one-eighth note rest or something. And then, you know, a singer who won't shut up. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm speaking, I'm criticizing this music this harshly because I love it so much. Um, and yeah. so, you know, it creates this challenge where when you do, when you have elements that do work together and you do a good job on the mix and you feel like you actually can kind of hear everything and it sounds heavy and brutal and, and all those textural aspects that metal is supposed to have, it feels like a huge accomplishment. <laughs> Um, and then of course, you know, you feel like you've accomplished this, you've finally gotten a metal record to sound good and you can hear everything and it's heavy and all that. And then somebody else hears it and their taste is a little bit different and they're like, oh, this sounds murky and shitty. And then you're just like, fuck, you can't win. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's there in working on metal for me in the background all the time. And so it's, it, it is frustrating, but it's also incredibly, um, rewarding when it goes well.
or when you think it goes well. Because, you know, it's like, it's art. It's not yeah. building a boat. So it's, there's, no, there's no physics involved that you have to adhere to this rule and that rule for it, to, for it to function and do what it's supposed to do. Music and art can be anything. It's self-expression, so there's no rules. We just create all the rules and, and almost start to take them as if they are the laws of physics. So it's important to, you know, just every now and then just be like, okay, hang on. This is, this is really like, just this can be anything and, and you should, you know, hopefully be able to a, a appreciate anything with an open mind. doesn't mean you have to appreciate everything. But um, anyway, I, th I don't know. I think I lost my train of thought there. But, <laughs> but yeah, the, 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 the um, aspect of why it's so hard to mix is because the instruments are being pushed past what they can really do. And so you need to actually, they're being pushed past what they can do in terms of like being legible and texturally the desired sound. And so that, that's just, that's just hard. It's just, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of work to be done to achieve all the, all the goals that you want in a, in a metal record. And then, the other part of your question was why it takes so long. And I think that's because, uh, well, a couple things, but you know, the music's intricate and dense, but then also I think that there's a very high bar, um, of accuracy that's set mm -hmm. in metal and especially in death metal, maybe not so much in, in, in black metal and in the more like punk influenced kinds of metal, but, uh, metal metal musicians tend to have such high standards for accuracy of performance that that often ends up leading not always but often ends up leading to recordings where everybody's recording separately everybody's fixing every mistake so yeah. if you play through the song once and you've messed up in 10 places you're going to go back and like spend as much time as it takes to get all those the way that you had in your head the way that you intended Whereas maybe in some other kinds of music, that's just not part of the of the way you operate as often. I mean, yes, in all kinds of rock music, studio rock music, that's that's been an aspect. But I just think that metal's often harder to play, and the bar is also higher. So that just ends up meaning you need more time in the studio to get it the way you want. Mm. Um, and also there's there's a, a tendency for those kinds of bands to record live less often. There's still plenty of metal bands that record live, but it's a little bit less common than in some other forms of rock music. So that just ends up, you know, taking a long a longer time with everybody going separately. Um so yeah, you know, it's like metal records feel like this big undertaking in the studio, but they're also very rewarding. Improv records, on the other hand, total free improv records sometimes get the entire record gets made in, in like half a day maybe one day total, half a day of recording, half a day of mixing. And then that's the whole record. So there's, that's a, that's a really great feeling too of the, of this achievement of doing so much in so little time um, and getting something cool versus metal where like, it's this, it's this thing that you're like really pouring all your heart and energy and time into. And then when you get it sounding good, you, you feel like, ah, well, like all that work paid off. So there's, there's a good feeling of accomplishment. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, another challenge I'd figure you face a lot, um, and it's also something that you recalled earlier while talking to us, was about the entire thing about recording vis-a-vis -vis the live performance itself. And I'm sure it comes up a lot 
whenever you're producing any metal bands too because almost every metal band and this is me painting everyone with one brush but largely mm-hmm. all metal bands you know they want their albums to sound organic they want their albums to sound heavy as fuck and also they want their albums to have the same energy as the live show yeah so largely the question here is uh if metal musicians were to treat live music and recordings differently how can they really learn to do the same because let's face it they aren't to uh they aren't they aren't the same thing and they never will be you mean the, the live versus the studio yeah yeah um yeah so i think uh, first of all i want to say i think that's i think you're totally right that everybody in their own head does want it to sound organic and heavy as fuck and have the energy of the live show but what i find funny about that is that none of those three things are the way most metal records sound to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, the, the way that, you know, and this, it's, it's, it's hard to, to make absolute statements about because at this point there's so much metal, so many different yeah. kinds and so many different recording techniques. But let's, let's focus more on the stuff that's not necessarily, it, it t- tends to be death metal, but it's really everything. The stuff that tends to have the very sort of clean, sterile sound. Um, I think even those guys are trying, they want the idea of organic and heavy and the energy of the live show. But just to me, the modern, super slick, super sound replaced, amp simulator, everything quantized, everything perfected, super compressed mastering, to me, that's none of those things. And that's yeah, just the it, difference in it taste. Really isn't. Yep, completely agreed with you. But it's so weird, right? Yeah, that, that, that that's become sort of the template for metal as such in today's times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it comes down to a matter of opinion, ultimately. Because maybe the guy in Lamb of God thinks that their album is organic and is heavy as fuck and brings the energy of the live show. But when I put it on, I hear this isn't live. This isn't even played. I mean, maybe, maybe Lamb of God is a bad example because I actually don't know their recordings too well, but like, let's, let me, let me use a better example of a, of a band where it's like, okay, how about rings of Saturn? Okay. (laughs) Uh, You know, a band that I, that I, I even do have respect for because they are crazy. But they have, they totally have that super quantized, super sterile modern, modern sound. And to them, I think that you're right. I think they're trying to achieve all those things. But to me, what it sounds like is small, thin, not, not organic, not played, and then therefore not heavy. It's like with every drum hit being a sound replaced, super loud snare hit, none of them sound loud anymore. You've erased the, uh, the dynamics. Um, and, and dynamics, I'm, I mean, more in, the, in a um, philosophical way, where like, mm-hmm. if there isn't a quiet hit and a loud hit in the same song, you have no basis of comparison. So the loud hits aren't loud anymore. They're just weird. They're just awkward sounding. They just don't sound real. Um, and, and hey, maybe real isn't the goal, but hey, if we were just saying a second ago we wanted it to be organic, 
<laughs> to me, that's not organic. Um, but hey, whatever. That's just a word. It can mean whatever it means. Uh, this is the thing I want to say. Um, if mm. you just go on YouTube and watch any live recording of any show of any kind of music that was recorded like on a, on an iPhone, you know what I mean? Like, like not a yeah. professionally mixed recorded show, but just somebody standing in the audience recording the show. Believe it or not, that horrible, messy wall of blurry sound is what you're hearing at the show. That is, that is much closer to the experience of sound that you have at the show than any record where there's more than one microphone happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, your ears are a better microphone than the one in your phone, maybe. A little bit, but not, not as much as, as you would think. Um, being there in the room with that volume and seeing the musicians and being able to move around and change your perspective and look at this guy and then look at that guy and then, and then move to a different place in the room and hear it from over here, all that shit is actually what makes any of the show legible. Mm. And, you know, and this is especially true in metal, which is just such a wall of noise live. Any kind of metal. Um, so that's what your show sounds like. If you want your record to sound like that, then go set up in a big reverberant room and, and, and put one microphone at the back and play your set. <laughs> that's, that's what a live show sounds like. Um, so nobody is injecting the energy of the live show into their studio records. Nobody! Nobody's doing that. If they really were, records wouldn't have more than one microphone on them. Um, okay. okay. So I know, I, I know I'm exaggerating here, yeah, I think yeah, that this yeah. is a this is a point that like people don't don't talk about that much. So in that respect, I think that I think people are kind of deluded into thinking that they're injecting the energy of the live show. Or really like what you have to what you have to realize is that injecting the energy of the live show is something way more philosophical and way less actually the sound of the live show. Hmm. Because you don't want that. What everybody wants on their record is the sound of a microphone one inch from the instrument. And then a ton of EQ and compression on that to, to create like art, an artificial sense of space for each instrument. And I realize, even because I do this every day when I mix records, I realize that you're creating an artificial sense of space. Like that's what mixing is. Um, it's compensating for the fact that these instruments don't work that well when you just put up one mic. Um, and so that's why I've always been so drawn to classical music in terms of recording, because that is what those recordings are. Yeah, sometimes they're spot mics and stuff, but like, basically it's music designed to sound good in an acoustic space, and rock music isn't. Um, so, and metal especially. So, you know, I think that getting the energy of the live show for a metal record has to be approached in like a completely abstruse way, like not, not literal at all. Um, so that in a way is neither here nor there as a, as a desire to one in your record. That just basically means you want it to, to sound exciting. And hopefully you're just going to do that no matter what, no matter what, whether it sounds like a live show or not, if your music is good, you want to present it in an exciting way where you can hear all the elements and it sounds, and it sounds awesome. It sounds pleasing to listen to. So I think if you just maybe change your expectations to just be mm. a little more honest and just be that, just be like, no, I just want this to sound good. It doesn't have to sound like this band's record it doesn't have to somehow feel like the show or any of that stuff it's just 
the music presented in the best possible way, then maybe you'll end up with the exact same results because you have, you know, maybe your musical taste as a musician is for, for sound replaced drums or something. Maybe you just like the way that sounds better. But don't try to delude yourself by saying it sounds more like the show or that it sounds heavier or something like that. Like, no, it doesn't. It's just, just different. It's just a different thing. And it is further from what your instrument actually sounds like. So, so be honest about that. And if you're okay with that, great. Do, do that. But, but yeah, but just don't have any like ridiculous ideas about what, what you think you're doing when you're really not. <laughs> but there's a bit of hypocrisy, I think, built into the way metalheads view their own music sometimes. Um, and so, you know, just, just accept that it's a severely compromised form of music sonically and, and embrace that. And that's, you know, that's another reason I've been drawn to so much of this brutal death metal over the past uh, 10 years is because it's like they all just accepted that the music sounds ridiculous and doesn't sound real and doesn't sound like real instruments. And everybody is just, especially with the more sort of like lo-fi bands, the ones that aren't too clean, they're just like, yeah, that sounds disgusting. Let's just revel in the disgustingness. And so I like that. I like the honesty of that. All right. So, you know, after saying all that, Colin, what would you say metal means to you today? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess it means, it means so much. Um, you know, it can, it can mean everything from bands with a deluded idea of like their, the sound of their music all the way to, you know, the most positive way I can think about it, which is just this form of music that, um, accepts, uh, accepts like pushing and trying to make something new and sort of absolutely ridiculous. So that, you know, that's part of what I really like about it. And I think why I still end up operating in this, in this world of music that I, I notice all the problems with, uh, <laughs> and I accept, but like, um, I still keep kind of making these metal records. And I think that's because, yeah, there still is something really exciting and, and liberating about it, even though as a culture, we've kind of created all these rules. I still kind of am holding on to a little bit of the, the older feeling of, of metal being like, um, more accepting of, of, of doing your own thing and, and putting your own spin on something and making something totally ridiculous. And that being like a cool thing, as opposed to being something that just alienates everybody. I feel pretty alienated from the world in general. So making <laughs> a kind of music that's, ba that's, that's, that revels in that is makes sense for me. So just to wind things down a bit, going back yeah. to all your projects uh, and you know you spoke about quite a few at the start of the interview i know that there's a new behold the octopus uh, album which is haplectic orbiter okay i'm going to butcher that but uh, it, they're not, they're new not real words so you can't pronounce them wrong <laughs> <laughs> all right. so you have a new album uh, coming out in june uh, what other yeah. projects do you have uh, lined up coming up in the coming months? 
Um, so I think I already mentioned it, but I have that new Incentive Rack album. I don't know when that's going to mm. come out. You know, with the uh, quarantine and stuff, we might we might try to wait until after. Or we might just bite the bullet and just do it beforehand. I, I don't know. But um, that's kind of the next one on deck to work on and uh, finish. And then there's um, there's a new Kralis record, which actually is mostly already completely finished. Uh, we, were, we already did two recording sessions, one last year and one earlier this year. And we have all but two of the songs we wanted to record. And then the, the quarantine happened. So we kind of got stopped right when we were nearing the end. Um, so we might try to finish the album remotely, uh, if that makes sense, uh, or just wait. But anyway, that one's probably not going to come out soon, but is actually very close to being done. Um, and what else? I think that those are actually the only two that I can... I know, I know I'm leaving something out. Those are the only two I can think of right now that are like you know, very close to done and just need to be finished and then eventually will come out. But there's definitely going to be a lot of other stuff. And now with the quarantine, you know, going into another new month now and I have like very, very little work in the studio because of it, um, mm. you know, maybe now is the time to try to, you know, just create something completely from scratch now. I did that with my last Intricacy or Ambien album. That was pretty much all done now. Um, but it would be fun to do now like another record or two um, that I, that I you know, come up with the idea for and do all now, as opposed to what I have been doing, which is mostly sort of clearing out the closets of recordings done over the last five, five years that weren't totally finished yet and just finishing all those and, and releasing them on Bandcamp. Um, okay. So yeah, those, those, those are, those are the two, those are the two bigger, yeah, three. Yeah, three. Because yes, the octopus, the incentivrack, and the Kralis, So, um, behold, is the only one that actually is totally done and has the release date. Awesome. Still, that's that's great news for for fans of each and every one of those projects. New music to yeah, yeah. No, it'll be be great to finish these other things uh, too. Whenever that happens. <laughs> right. Uh, so, Colin, we've taken almost an hour's flown by. I didn't even realize that. Uh, but yeah. Uh, humor us on this final question. Um, you know, while while exchanging emails and setting up setting up this interview, you mentioned that uh, you're pretty bad with modern technology in general. Yeah, <laughs> I found that admission personally. I found that admission fascinating because I mean, here you are, uh, somebody who runs a studio, um, is engineering, producing records, a musician of a very high caliber. And all of these facets in today's times, uh, stereotypically, would expect you to be at the cutting edge of technology as such. <laughs> by the extension, by that extension to yourself, what's kept you away from modern tech? Um, I think part of it is probably my stubbornness of not wanting to change, you know, which everybody has built in to a certain degree. Um, but I think it's been exacerbated by I've just what I like to do is with with something technological like a computer or a piece of musical gear is have it and work with it over and over again for years and figure it out and get comfortable with it and then not have to think about it anymore. 
Hmm. So with, I'll give you an example with a recording program. My, the DAW I use now is Logic, and I okay. used to use Pro Tools. Okay. And for years, I was frustrated with Pro Tools. I was working with it, but at the time, it had all these limitations, which made it not the best to work with. And I was like, I should really switch to another program. I should really switch to another program. But I didn't want to because I just I'd already gotten comfortable with Pro Tools, and even though it was driving me crazy, you know, somewhat crazy. I still was able to do what I was doing, but like there was a lot of setbacks. Um, I didn't change for years, and then eventually it got to the point where I kind of just had to, and I bit the bullet and I did it. Uh, and now looking back, I'm kind of like, well, yeah, I, should. I mean, I think I was really just holding myself back just because I didn't want to spend the time to learn something new. And like, what was the point of learning something new? Okay, the point in that regard was 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 justified because now I had this capability yeah, had, I didn't yeah, have before. Yeah, before yeah. I was before I was limited to 32 tracks, but now I had like 230. So that's great. So, so that makes sense to me. It was still a hard transition, but, but like I can do it. Something like a smartphone. I've never had a smartphone and I've never had social media. And that's because those things from the beginning, I was skeptical. I was like, I don't know about that. That doesn't seem like something I need. I can still do what I want to do without them. So, all right, I won't get that right away. And then before I knew it, that was just every single person in the world had both of those things, except me. And so that was a little bit weird feeling. And, and so that creates the conversation of like, oh, Colin, like, why, don't, why, don't you, why don't you do this thing that everybody's doing now, this updated thing? And it, to me, it's kind of just like, well, okay, I, why? I, none of this functionality is something I've ever felt that I've needed. I'm still doing what I want to be doing. And I don't want to learn something new. And hey, also, what does everybody complain about in this world? Smartphones and social media. <laughs> so from the outside looking in, I'm like, these two things are nothing but misery for everybody. That, that's not a good advertisement for, for, for getting me into them. So I've had nothing but negative reinforcement for those things. Um, so... I, like, I don't like new things just because they're new. In fact, oh, to me, it. that's the opposite. I'm suspicious of, of, new, of, of new things. And, you know, technology is all about new, 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 new. Yeah. And so, yeah, if there's like a good, if I can see a good reason for, for some new technology, great. So uh, an example of that would be like, I used to use analog tape. Uh, and I would do all my basic recordings to analog tape, and then I would dump the reels multi-track into the computer, and I would finish and mix the recordings in the computer. Mm. So now I only do digital. I have I don't do tape anymore because there's a piece of modern technology called tape simulators, and yep. <laughs> you know I was suspicious of those, but once I started using them and got comfortable with them, I was like, oh, this does what I want. Great. I don't actually need the physical machine anymore with all of its expense and problems. I've got it. But for something like amp simulators versus a real amplifier, that to me, through all this experience with working with both, to me that's not a replacement that in the way that I want. So I still use them. I still use an amp simulator for a demo or for like things here and there, but I always prefer the real thing. Not like with tape. Tape, I don't care. Now that I've had the experience of working with both and I've learned this new method, I'm good. But the modern technology of AMP simulators, I still don't trust and I still don't feel like that's something that I need to replace the original with. 
So, yeah, you know, it's just that I have a basic skepticalness of modern technology, and I really like to learn the technology that I have and get good at it and not constantly being barraging, constantly barraging myself with new things to learn. Like, so much that you can learn in this world is too much. You can't learn it all. So I'm just kind of like cutting, cutting myself off early, just being like, all right, yeah, I don't need to learn that other thing. I, let me spend more time getting even better at the thing I already have. Completely hear you on that. On that <laughs> note, Colin, um, let's just hope you keep getting better at, at everything that is you do, because you do some really terrific things, man. Um, I really thank appreciate you so much. That. Yeah, thank you so much for sparing some time out for us. This has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Yeah, oh, you, you too, guys. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. So, that was Colin Marston. Why is it that whenever we talk to somebody of his stature, especially somebody who is responsible for producing and recording metal that it ends up becoming uh, of sorts an opinion about metal itself (laughs) I don't know I guess it becomes a time where we get to pick the brain of someone whose music we've listened to over like a lot of time I mean I know you brought it up where it became a similar conversation with both Dan Swano as well as uh, Hans Grossman so yeah. 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 And it always ends up being long. <laughs> I, I not, like with Colin, I'm, I was a bit surprised because Colin does uh, a lot of interviews. Uh so yeah, he does get a chance to express himself and things like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was still an enjoyable chat. Uh, you get to learn so much about, you know, a guy like him. Yep. Yep, that it was. Anyways, we enjoyed that. I hope you guys did too. Tell us if you did or even if you didn't. So by now, you know the drill. Definitely reach out to us. We are at hauntsuppod.com. You can reach out to us on Twitter at hauntsuppod. I am at Asmo Annie. And I'm Trent Crusher. Till the next time, Hauntsupp. Hauntsupp, guys.